Well, friends, please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 17 and go through verse 28. And Covenant kids, uh, I hope you listen to God's word this morning as I hope you listen every week. But as you hear God's word, as your parents allow, would you draw a picture of a chore that you have to do every day? Uh, chores often aren't very much fun and they don't give us much glory. Uh, but when you, when you do a chore for your family, you are serving and you're loving them. And when we do it for Christ, when we're motivated, motivated by who Jesus is, then we're actually showing forth Jesus and his love to your family and to those who are watching. And I want you to listen for how Jesus is going to talk about service in his kingdom in our lives, in his word today. Would you follow along as I read God's word from Matthew 20? And as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside. And on the way, he said to them, see, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged crucified and he will be raised on the third day then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons and kneeling before him she asked him for something and he said to her what do you want she said to him say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom Jesus answered, you do not know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am able to drink? They said to him, we are able. He said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right and to sit at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your love, for the faithfulness that we see in your word and you've shown us what it means to serve, for you've given us yourself. Would you help us to continue to go deeper in our understanding of who you are, of how we belong to you, how you're sending us out in your kingdom to serve in a world that doesn't understand how to handle power. Would you bless this time? Would you deepen and strengthen our faith? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Well, what would you do with kingly power? Have you ever wondered what kind of changes in the world you might make? Uh, the questions of society, what would you decide to do differently? Or, or how you would perhaps spend uh, a kingly ransom or kingly wealth? You know, we've all had moments of this, uh, whether we've daydreamed about it, daydreamed that perhaps we invested at the stock market in the right time, or, or uh, perhaps got on the Bitcoin wave as it was rising. Uh, we all have these dreams of what we would do with incredible wealth. And we, we know the stories of, of, what, of what we've heard of those uh, stories of like genies in a bottle, where we're granted three wishes. And we actually, if you read the old stories of those, you, you remember how the genie is always a trick or a trap when we, when we uh, ask for a wish. It's because we write those stories and we also don't want other people to get their wishes. You know, we live in a world where, where uh, we greatly desire power because we ultimately, we want control. We want to live in a world where we have the final say, where we can bring others to serve us. We can feel like we're in control because wouldn't it be wonderful to have that kind of kingly power? Yesterday, uh, my wife told me at the beginning of the day that it was going to be spring cleaning. It was a day of uh, chores throughout our household and you know, I didn't want to do chores, so... You know, it didn't sound like much fun. I wanted others to serve me. And so, husbands, this is a, a great way to get out of chores. Just tell your wife, you still have a sermon to write. <laughs> it's a, you know, you, what do you say to that? <laughs> oh, we're, or what about the unfinished projects in your home? You'd love for someone else to finish to serve you. We all have this desire we all struggle with it and we, we look around and we see the lifestyles of the rich and famous and we glamorize that and we think, how great would it be if my life was like that? If I had power to influence, power in my presence before others, power to be heard because no one else seems to hear me. And we can feel that in our marriages and we can feel it at work and we can feel it with our kids, we can feel it with our parents. We want power. We want control. And we forget that Jesus came into this world with unfathomable power. The King of kings, the Lord of lords, God Almighty Emmanuel has come into this world. And his mission in the world was to set his Glory aside, his kingly power and control so that he might serve, so that he might lay down his life. And following Jesus for those who look to him means that, that we actually set aside our glory and our power and our desire for control so that we might follow him into the world to serve, to be like him. This is what Jesus wants his disciples to understand. Uh, he wants them to understand before they head into Jerusalem. Uh, now he's, he's 
mentioned this two other times in the gospel, but if you look with me in verses 17 and following, Jesus knows the disciples are struggling with their understanding of his mission, which is to serve. And so he, he draws them to him again as they look and they see Jerusalem approaching. Look with me in the text in verse 17. He says he's going up to Jerusalem and he, he took the 12 disciples aside and he says this to him. He says, see, we're going up to Jerusalem. This is the place of preeminent kingly power for the Israelites. This is the place where the king is returning home And the thought of what the disciples must have had about Jesus' return, that he's the Messiah, he's the Christ, he's going to reign. The other nations are going to submit to our king. He's going to dominate with his power. And Jesus continues with the most unexpected thought, even though he's said this to them before. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, those who had been persecuting him, who had been seeking to to stop his ministry or to show control or power over his ministry. He's going to be delivered over to them and, and then he's going to be condemned to death. And he's going to be handed over to the Gentile, the pagan nations, the, the Romans. And he's going to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And he'll be raised on the third day. Now, as I mentioned, this is the third time Jesus has told his disciples in Matthew's gospel. And each time he explains it, the disciples don't understand. They're either confused or they resist it or or they're terrified by the idea of it. They don't get what his mission is to let go of the control, to trust his heavenly father, to be placed to serve in the world. And so Jesus repeats this, this third time, because he wants the disciples to know definitively that this doesn't surprise him why he's going to Jerusalem. It's, it's not going to surprise him when he's betrayed or when he goes to suffer, or when he is crucified. He's going of his own accord. He's going willingly, in love. That that's actually his purpose in the world. And he wants them to understand so that they're not surprised, so that they too will think and have the mindset of those who are going to go into the world afterwards They would go willingly, not to seek control and power, but to lay it down and to lay down their lives as he's laid down his life for them. This is the mission of Jesus. And because it's the mission of Jesus, it's our mission. But Jesus doesn't end at the suffering in his death. Did you note that he also talks about the resurrection, that he'll be raised on the third day. He wants them to understand that beyond the suffering and death is new life. He doesn't just describe the suffering because Jesus knows that to experience new life and the joy of living, we actually have to lose our lives first. 
Joy isn't the ability to exercise kingly power as we often think. It's not having control in the world, but following Jesus in our death. It's not the seeking of our greatness. It's by the losing of control and power that we find joy. You know, seeking greatness in this world is it's kind of like trying to hold water with your hands. You can always think you can hold more and you never fully can and it's never fully satisfying to try and hold water in your hands. But real joy comes from knowing Jesus, the one who washes his disciples' feet, the one who lays his life down and his, lets his power go Michael Card, uh, some of you know him as an author, he's a musician. He and his wife Susan got together as they were reflecting on that season in time when their, their uh, children were getting ready to move out of their home as adults and they wanted to pass along the wisdom that they've compiled together to, to hand off to their children as they enter into adulthood. And they wrote this song together called The Sunrise of Your Smile. And the first verse of that goes... Reject the worldly lie that says your life lies always up ahead. Let power go before control becomes a crust around your soul. Escape the comfort to possess the soul-diminishing success. This world is full of narrow lives. I pray by grace your smile survives. What a beautiful love song for a parent to wish for their child. To let go of power and, and the desire for success in the world, of greatness. Hold on to your smile. That's Jesus' desire for you too. God wants you to smile. He wants you to experience joy. And Jesus knows you will never experience joy by seeking control in life and exercising power to gain greatness over others. Jesus is demonstrating for us what it looks like to serve. He's calling us to serve so that we might know his joy. But we struggle to, to listen and we struggle to understand that. We hear what Jesus is going to do. We all know it and yet we resist it. Uh, if you look in your bullets and I put the word parrying, I had to get the three P alliteration to be a good pastor. Um, but parrying or resistance is really what I'm trying to, to, to show in the text. The disciples, they hear it, they know it, they've, they've heard it before and yet they resist it. Because the very next thing, if you see in the text, is in verse 20, it's then. After hearing that, then this happens. I'm going to die. It's almost like a succession plan. All right, we believe you, Jesus. Now who's next? Let's move past what you're trying to do, and let's see if we can step into this place of greatness that you're going to leave behind. So, But look with me in verse 20 and 21. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, she came up to him, and, 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 and as a good follower, she kneels. This is her king. That's what you do before kings. You kneel. And she asks him, 
Give me something. What do you want, he, he replies. She said, say that. Declare that my sons are going to sit at your right and left. The predominant positions of power among the twelve. Now, I'd love to give the benefit of the doubt here that there's some reason why in the ancient world you'd send your mother to do something for you. But I can't find in all my research why, uh, why you would send a mother to go do something. I mean, in fact, if, if you think about what's happening here, it's, it's, it's so silly. They want positions of power, and yet they don't even have the power to go to Jesus. They send their mother. I mean, it'd be kind of like if you imagine a, a presidential campaign where during the elections, instead of uh, the presidential candidates debating, we had all the candidates' mothers debating I mean, wouldn't that be just a, an, an awkward and absurd moment, right? I mean, that's kind of what I think is on display here. It's, it's an absurdity. They're not going directly to Jesus. They're, they're trying to go around and use her to gain power. You know, it's interesting because uh, the rest of the 24, they're indignant, um, when they hear about it. And it's hard to understand maybe why they're indignant. I mean, maybe it's for good reasons, but likely it's because they even asked or they sent their mother or uh, because they beat them to it. <laughs> you know, it's almost like shotgun, right? When you yell shotgun, it's some law that, that, that exists somewhere that when you say the word shotgun, you get to sit in the front seat of the car. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's how they're treating this power in the, in the, you know, I claimed it, therefore I should have it. What they don't understand is the one sitting on the left and the right in Jesus' majesty, at the height of Jesus' earthly ministry in his gloried uh, work that he does in service. There, this is what Matthew says, there are two, one on the left and one on the right, but they're hanging on a cross. They're suffering themselves. But Jesus loves this woman. He actually doesn't resist her, her uh, push for power for her sons. He tells them, you don't really know what you're asking for this, by this request. If you're in verse 22 and 23, and he asked them, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? That, that cup, um, you know, perhaps the disciples are aware of it, but with that cup in the Old Testament, it's a reference, it's a cup of suffering. It's actually a cup of the wrath of God, judgment. And Jesus is saying, I, I'm about to drink a cup of my own death, bearing the wrath of, of sin for my people on the cross. I'm about to do that. Are you able to do that? And it's like immediately they respond, well, of course I'm able. Well, why? Because I see the power. I'll do whatever I need to do to get to the power. <laughs> and Jesus, he entertains their, their boldness in this. He loves them in it. And he explains to them it's a cup they're going to drink. They're going to drink a cup of suffering because they are leaders. But to assign the position of power, left and right, you hear what Jesus says here? I actually don't have the power to do that. Jesus is willing to defer to his Father in everything. 
And he knows that it's not his place to grant power. It's actually his father's place to decide where we stand before him in the kingdom of God, where we serve in the kingdom. In fact, it's one of the most relieving truths of our ability to serve is to know that the Father's the one who actually appoints us in the church. We would actually be arranged in the proper place and not have to worry about where we ought to serve or seeking more and more power and glory for ourselves. Because it's the Father who assigns the places of power and places all throughout so that we can rest in his provision and his direction so that we can serve. And of course, this indignation is going to be problems, right? The disciples are all squabbling over it. So Jesus, he wants to explain the process to them. Look with me in verses 25 through 28. Uh, Jesus seeing them in their indignation. He calls them, he gathers them, he loves them. (laughs) You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They really know this, the disciples. They've been walking for three years and they've been living their lives entirely under Roman rule. The power that the Romans have to lord their authority and their armies over the Israelites. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be a servant. And whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You notice how Jesus, he actually understands that they're all struggling with the same thing. It's not that James and John need to be singled out here. It's that they all are struggling to understand how power works, just like we all struggle to understand and see how power operates in this world with a boss or with a a parent uh, or with a, a, a situation with the government. I mean, we see power. We think that's the way to success. We all struggle with it, and, and Jesus confronts that. You know, I, I, I witnessed this the other day of even just being in line in a, in, in, in a heavy traffic where someone cut someone else off and that car drove around and made sure he got right in front of that other car and slammed on his brakes. You know, I'm going to exercise what little power I have to control your uh, uh, movement because you injured me. You frustrated me. You showed power over me. And you know, we do it as parents. We do it all the time. I had a, a female friend of mine who said, I can't wait for my daughter to have her wedding so that I can actually uh, plan the wedding because my mother planned mine. Uh, we all have these moments where we, we seek to control rather than letting go of power, serving one another. And that's what Jesus is saying. We're, we're actually called not to lord over one another with power. We are so familiar with that. So familiar, it's like drinking water sometimes to us. He knows that about the disciples. And his response to that is actually to do something that should cause all of our deacons to sit up and listen. Because they're called out. They are the servants of their. They're defined by service. 
And we're so grateful for our deacons that they lead the way in service as a church because that's what he's saying. If you, if you are not to be like a Lord and Lord over it, you are to be like a deacon. And we've got great examples of deacon in our, deacons in our church. You are to serve. That's what deacon means. It means that we are actually to be table waiters to one another. And he goes even further to say, and if you really want to be first, you're actually to be like a slave. You are to show the world you have a different master. Why? Well, we live as servants and slaves to a greater master because of verse 28. The son of man who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I mean, what Jesus does here is he takes the picture in Daniel 9, the picture of, of rain, the son of man comes with judgment in the world and he, he brings that prophecy with the prophecy we read about in Isaiah and in other places in Isaiah, the suffering servant, and he pushes them together that the son of man who reigns comes to suffer and die, to serve not to be served. And he identifies as a deacon. <laughs> he says, I am to be a servant to diacne. He came to serve. His primary mission in the world is as a deacon. An office that's defined by Jesus' mission to the world. Brothers, we are grateful for your ministry. But not only does he describe himself as a deacon, it's not just an example for us to go out and diacne all of us in the church. He comes to do what we can't do. He was a ransom. You know, what's a ransom? A ransom is when you pay for someone who's in that captivity. Somebody who cannot save themselves, whether they're a captured soldier in a foreign army or, or whether they're enslaved to someone else. Jesus says, I am the one who brings all of those captives out of their enslavement. I am the one who ransoms them. And I don't do it with money. I do it with my own blood. Jesus brings us out of sin and death, a, a different kind of kingdom and he brings us into the kingdom that he reigns over, that frees us. He ransoms us. Paul would say it this way. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Not to experience some sins. To be sin. The one who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' mission is to give life by giving his life, so that we would learn to suffer along with him in our service to one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, you are the righteous one. You are tender and merciful. You've washed your disciples' feet, not just as an example of setting aside your kingly power, but you're seeking to strengthen and help us to serve our neighbors 
sinners, all whom we might encounter. May our lives and our attitudes and our actions, may it show forth to the world around us that you're good, that you're not only worthy of all praise and devotion and worship, but Lord, that you've come to love them too by giving your life for us. Help us, we pray, and guide us. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.